0: From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News.
1: Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are Cindy Sane, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent and Chris Simpkins, VOA Senior National Affairs Correspondent. Welcome, Cindy and Chris. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Kim. Good to be with you.
1: Well, here are the issues. The U.S. Senate narrowly passed a $3.5 trillion budget resolution providing the framework for spending on many priorities of President Joe Biden and was supported only by senators from his Democratic Party in the 50 to 49 vote. Earlier in the week, the Senate, in a rare bipartisan vote of approval, adopted a $1 trillion infrastructure plan to fix the country's deteriorating roads and bridges and expand broadband Internet service. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned from office after an investigative report released by State Attorney General Letitia James found he sexually harassed 11 women, including some who worked in his office and violated state and federal laws. Cuomo denies the allegations, saying they are politically motivated. Taliban insurgents tighten their grip on captured Afghan territory, now controlling 65 percent of the country, as President Biden urged the nation's leaders to fight for their homeland. Biden said he does not regret his decision to withdraw, noting that Washington has spent more than $1 trillion over 20 years and lost thousands of troops. He said the United States continues to provide significant air support, food, equipment, and salaries to Afghan forces. U.S. health officials say they remain concerned about the spread of the coronavirus Delta variant. The approaching school season could mark a dangerous time for children. A new U.N. report on climate change warns that efforts to limit global warming to close to 1.5 degrees Celsius – quote, will be beyond reach, unquote, in the next two decades without immediate, rapid and large-scale reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. Environmentalists outline the role companies, countries and individuals can play in stemming the crisis. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Cindy, I'll start with you. The Senate voted to advance the massive $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package, as well as approve their $3.5 trillion budget resolution in hopes of paving the way for a huge economic package. It now goes to the House for approval. So what are Republicans and moderate Democrats saying about this type of spending?
0: Well, first of all, Kim, many observers, including myself, were surprised that the first bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, to the tune of $1.2 trillion, that it did get passed. And many thought when President Joe Biden kept insisting that he wanted to reach out to Republicans, that the nation is facing Really, very huge problems, and that they can only be tackled with a united front of Democrats and Republicans working together, and him saying that you know he had been in the Senate for decades and that he was used to carving out and hammering out compromises with Republicans. And many thought that in this day and age when with this hyper-partisan environment, that that was just naive. And so I think, first of all, this is politically speaking being seen as a, a big victory for President Biden. But now, as you said, it's sort of down to work, especially for Democrats with some progressives now wanting the new budget reconciliation bill to focus a lot more on tackling climate change and helping families. And whereas Republicans, they agreed to more to physical infrastructure, roads, bridges, that sort of thing, which is very popular among most Americans. So uh, it's a victory, but not too much to celebrate yet. And President Biden said that we proved that democracy can still work, with maybe can being the operative word there.
1: Yes. And Chris, Senator Joe Manchin, a moderate Democrat of West Virginia, he voted for the infrastructure package, but said he had serious concerns about the consequences on American families if Congress decides to spend another $3.5 trillion. So in just looking at this and looking at the fact that it's trillions of dollars, how can Americans pay for this? And many that I have heard from say they can't even wrap their brains around the amount of money.
2: Well, I think that's the big controversy here and something that's obviously going to have to be worked out. But observers believe this package will ultimately be trimmed down. And there's going to need to be a lot of work done and negotiations had between the White House and some of the moderate senators like Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema from Arizona who are really concerned about the price tag. We've heard it from the Senate Minority Leader McConnell who sees this as the possibility of one of the biggest tax increases in U.S. history. So at the end of the day, they're going to have to work out how to pay for it, and then we'll see where it goes. But right now, there's a lot ahead before this bill is ultimately passed, if it is in in its present form.
1: Yes, and we will continue to follow this as neither bill will get to President Biden's desk for weeks or even months. Well, on now to New York, where New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced he will resign amid the growing fallout from sexual harassment allegations and an investigative report. Cindy, in his resignation speech, he did some victim-blaming, saying he was unaware the lines were redrawn. Critics are saying this implies that perhaps maybe the rules that apply to everyone else do not apply to him.
0: Right, Kim. Well, I think you singled out what I also thought was the standout line from his speech, saying, you know, in my mind, I've never crossed the line with anyone, but I didn't realize the extent to which the line had been redrawn. He said there are generational and cultural shifts. And this happens as he embraced and championed the Me Too movement that women should not have to tolerate sexual harassment and and even worse in their places of work. But as we're finding out now with this report, it was going on and he was misusing his power for that. He also addressed his daughters directly in the uh, speech saying your dad made mistakes, but he apologized and learned from them and that's what life is all about. So I heard some of the victims of his harassment react and they did not feel like he was actually taking responsibility. And they felt like he has not really learned or did not really offer an authentic apology. So I think he kind of used what some are calling the dinosaur defense, saying, well, he comes from a different time and a different age, and now the boundaries have been redrawn. But there again, He was at the forefront of calling out others, and he actually helped to get some things passed. For me, personally, it's hard to square that contradiction.
1: Yes, that is so true. And Chris, looking ahead, what is the next step? Some are saying that Cuomo should still be impeached. Do you see this happening, and will formal charges be filed against him for his actions?
2: Well, since he said he was resigning, it hasn't ended the talk for impeachment up at the state capital of New York, Albany. And I think there is a lot of question marks remaining in what's going to happen to him. There has been a criminal complaint of sexual misconduct filed at the Albany County Sheriff's Office by one of his accusers. That's going to be investigated. He may be brought in, could be charged, could be found guilty if it's It comes back that way of a misdemeanor. But the other thing that's going on, if they decide to go ahead with the impeachment hearings among lawmakers in Albany, New York, the governor could be facing the possibility, if he's impeached, and one of the penalties would be that he would not be allowed to run for public office in the state ever again. And there's been talk that he resigned now, thinking that he might make another run at the governorship. But nonetheless, it's just a very shocking. And quick downfall to a political dynasty really. His father was governor, three-term governor of New York in the 80s and early 90s and didn't get a fourth term. Governor Cuomo now wanted that fourth term but was incredibly popular and as a three-term governor. But as the personal matters became more clear what uh, was going on, it was just too hard for him t- to stay in office.
1: And in addition to this particular incident, Cuomo remains the subject of other serious investigations, including whether his office was involved in the underreporting of the state's COVID-19 death toll in nursing homes, and whether he misused state resources to write and promote a book about how he handled the pandemic. So I'm sure this is not the legacy that he is hoping to leave as governor of new york
2: well it's certainly i think going to damage and leave a big stain on his legacy he has done a lot of good in new york on infrastructure again he's been a very popular governor and you know before he served as governor of new york he worked in the clinton administration as the head of the housing and urban development department for three years. So he has had a lot of positive government service, but this sexual harassment scandal is probably going to stay with him, and it remains to be seen if he will be able to have a political career again
1: and the other thing with this too Cuomo he gave himself two weeks to leave office in his resignation so considering the circumstances is that normal or why not an immediate resignation
0: that's a very good question Kim and a lot of people are asking that but I think as Chris touched on the very fact that Mr Cuomo and some in his camp are still considering another run under these circumstances to me points to just hubris and sort of an arrogance that may have contributed to his actual downfall. Not a sense of humility or basically, you know, just trying to end it, but still considering another run, I think is a failure in judgment.
2: And I might add that the delay, I think, and we learned this from a press conference of the Lieutenant Governor, who basically said she didn't have much conversation with uh, Governor Cuomo, making it clear that they really did not work together. They didn't see each other that much. The Lieutenant Governor said she would be traveling around the state on her own and that they were really not that close. So it's probably going to take a little while to make that transition and for her to figure out who she's going to keep around as a cabinet, who she might trust. And it'll be interesting to see if any of Governor Cuomo's former aides or staffers are able to be on her team.
1: Those are some really good points that you all brought out. So we will continue to follow developments. And on now to Afghanistan, where the Taliban continues to seize provincial capitals Cindy, the Biden administration says it is up to Afghan forces to defend their country. So where do the peace talks stand between the Taliban and the Afghan government?
0: Well, almost by the hour, Kim, we're having dramatic developments in Afghanistan. The security situation is getting worse. I'm now hearing that the Taliban has captured the central prison in Kandahar and has freed some 3,000 prisoners, I'm getting more fighters for their side. And millions of people in Afghanistan are living in fear that they're going to be killed, that their homes are going to be destroyed. And U.S. officials have really come under fire for not doing more, with some observers saying, okay, we understand that President Biden made the tough call after 20 years to pull U.S. troops out. But on the way out, you know, some are raising the question, couldn't the U.S. do some more airstrikes on the Taliban to help them out? Because Afghan forces are desperately calling for air support and for maintenance for their planes and things that they've depended on the U.S. for. So it sounds, you know, counterintuitive to say it's a hasty pullout after 20 long years in the country, but it does seem sort of sudden in the sense in the way it's being executed. And you asked about the Doha talks, and I think the U.S., from what I've been hearing at the State Department, the U.S. is really putting the emphasis on A broad coalition of countries, including Russia and China and European countries, all telling the Taliban, look, if you take power by force, you're not getting a cent of aid. And I think that this may be also a bit naive, because why is the Taliban now, where they're having just breathtaking military victories on the ground,
1: why are they going to be in the mood to concede? And Chris— Afghan President Ashraf Ghani said he was seeking help from regional militias that he has squabbled with for years. So will Afghanistan be able to stand up to the Taliban?
2: It's doubtful. U.S. assessments now coming in are saying that they feel that the Taliban are going to be able to perhaps take control of the country within the next 30 to 90 days, which is a closer time frame. What I've seen on television is eerily similar to what I saw just about 20 years ago when I was, after 9-11, was sent to Afghanistan and Pakistan to cover the lead up to what turned out to be military operations in Afghanistan. Going through, at that time, the Taliban already had control of large portions of the country. And when we traveled from Quetta in Pakistan to Kandahar in Afghanistan, we went through several checkpoints that were operated by the Taliban. We saw some of the things that the Taliban was doing in terms of making people adhere to strict norms of like women wearing burqas, women being denied schooling opportunities. So this brings back some pretty bad memories for me seeing that we spent 20 years trying to push the Taliban out, and now they have made a, a stunning resurgence almost to the point where they were 20 years ago.
1: Yes, and you brought up the human rights aspect of it. Even the U.N. human rights chief, Michelle Bachelet, said reports of violations that could amount to war crimes and crimes against humanity were emerging. So looking at this, where does the international community stand? Will they be able to intervene?
2: Well, I think that they are going to need to intervene because we, we could see the possibility of a big humanitarian crisis, a big refugee crisis, and the Afghan people are kind of stuck in the middle. I mean, the UN has said that More than a thousand civilians have been killed in Afghanistan just in the past month. So I think the international community is going to have to be stern with the Taliban and say you would get no international recognition if you continue to carry out these alleged human rights violations and killing of innocent people in the country.
1: Cindy, as we wrap up this segment, did you want to add anything? As Chris
0: said, I had the opportunity to listened to some Afghan members of parliament recently, and especially some women members were just saying that, just describing in graphic detail, the Taliban basically going in and chopping off people's limbs. And she said, it's just slaughter targeting children. And she said she just couldn't believe that these 20 years of progress we're you know just going to be gone and just pleading basically for the international community not to desert Afghanistan.
1: Yes, and it's time now for a quick break and when we come back, combating the rise of delta variant cases and the risk for school children. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype. Cindy Sane, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent, and Chris Simpkins, VOA Senior National Affairs Correspondent. Well, Cindy, the CDC's updated guidelines urge the continued use of face coverings in most indoor settings and in crowded outdoor areas due to the COVID-19 Delta variant surge. Well, this has created debate among school officials, city officials, and even governors. For instance, in Florida, school officials and even President Biden are in a standoff with Governor Ron DeSantis over mask requirements as school season approaches. Can the president intervene to defy the governor's ban on mask mandates in schools?
0: I don't think so, Kim. And it feels a little bit like deja vu that we've experienced all of this before. The serious health threat this deadly virus, being politicized and being sort of, you know, going into a, a cultural war of sorts. But the fact is that it is a dangerous time for American children and children around the world as they go back to school, since the U.S. children under 12 still can't get vaccinated. And Florida has some of the highest rates of hospitalization. And so it, it is a very, very dangerous time. And some are still arguing about the mask issue when it's actually proven that they, you know, slow the spread of the virus
1: and can save lives. Chris, Republicans and in some industry groups are signaling they would oppose any effort from the Biden administration to use the threat of withholding federal funds to push some employers like nursing homes and health facilities to mandate COVID vaccines. What do you think about this power of the purse to get more people vaccinated?
2: Well, I think the Republicans are going to probably have to rethink some of their strategy in opposition to some of these measures that I think are really going to have to be strongly considered and the Biden administration uh, try to push forward with them despite the opposition. There's clearly some serious things going on in the country now, especially with the strain that the coronavirus is having on our health care system. 10,000 coronavirus patients were admitted to hospitals in Texas just during the week. And uh, here in Washington, D.C., intensive care beds at hospitals are at 80% capacity. And this area right here where I live is now considered a high, substantially high transmission area, as are other states throughout the South, like Texas, Florida, and Louisiana. There's a shortage of intensive care unit nurses at these facilities. Hospitals are having to build out uh, temporary COVID wings made out of tents to handle the surge of hospitalizations. And as these infections and the number of cases rise, ultimately hospitalizations and unfortunately deaths, where we're averaging around 600 deaths a day as this Delta variant clearly is spreading and, and highly contagious throughout the country.
1: Yes, and as Cindy pointed out, it just seems like deja vu, like this is something that we've all been through before, and now we are going through it again with the Delta variant.
2: Exactly. And I think that you just need some kind of medical care. You know, a lot of places, especially in Texas, the governor has ordered elective surgeries to stop again. Some of the same actions that we had to take early on in the pandemic when our health care situation was overstretched. So we have a lot of tough times ahead of us, Kim, I think.
0: The only good news in this is that probably because things are getting so bad again that some people who had been reluctant to get the vaccine are now getting it. The national vaccination rate is finally up again to the same level in June, about 500,000 new vaccinations per day. So there will be a little bit of lag time, but hopefully that will help.
2: And I might add, I think that there will be more vaccination mandates by companies and government in an effort to get more people in this country vaccinated, because that's the only way right now researchers and scientists, doctors say we're going to beat back the virus.
1: Just a few minutes remaining, I'd like to get your comments on the new report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It says we are on course to exceed the 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming described in its report and that everyone needs to act to reduce global warming.
2: I think it's gonna be a slow go. You've got to get government behind it. You've got to get other companies. One example are automakers. There have been several American automakers that have now rolled off their new models coming up for electric vehicles. And this push to go from gas-powered and diesel-powered vehicles to electric vehicles is probably going to take another 10 years to really, for all the automakers to get on board with it. But I think there is an understanding now, and with this UN report, a much more urgency to look at escalating or accelerating this move away from fossil fuels to more renewable energies and green fuels that are going to help really begin to slow the tide of global warming.
1: Also, Cindy, where does the Biden administration stand on this? Well,
0: as Chris said, you know, we're already observing the impacts right here in our own backyards. And the U.S., of course, is one of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gases in the world. And President Biden says he's committed to cutting emissions in half by the end of this decade. And the infrastructure package includes funding for cleaner electricity, public transit, and electric vehicles. There again, Republicans are resisting the climate part of the package. So all these are things that still have to be fought out, but the report makes clear, as the UN Secretary General said, it's a code red for humanity.
1: We'll have to end the show on that note as we are out of time. My thanks to Cindy Sane, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent, and Chris Simpkins, VOA Senior National Affairs Correspondent. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News you <smart noise>